This is Unfiltered, episode 69 for October 2nd, 2013. Right now, here is what is happening coast to coast across this country. It is day one of the first government shutdown in 17 years, and we are seeing 800,000 workers coast to coast sent home without pay. Monuments and museums turn away school children. World War II veterans had to push their way forward to honor their fallen brethren. And everywhere tonight, Americans are saying they are fed up with the congressmen who dig in and force the U.S. government to screech to a halt. On this week's episode of Unfiltered, the rampant dysfunction of the U.S. government has triggered a partial shutdown for the first time in 17 years after Congress failed to break a partisan deadlock. But is the shutdown a scam? Can Tea Party members force Obama to neuter his signature legislation while holding the federal government hostage? Meanwhile, the shutdown shenanigans have provided excellent distraction for the recent major NSA leaks. We'll dig through the latest outrageous revelations and discuss. Then it's a little GMO talk, your feedback, and much, much more. On this week's episode of Unfiltered. And welcome to Unfilter, episode 69 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show, This Distracting You from All of That TV You Shouldn't Be Watching. My name is Chris, and unfortunately, Mr. Chase is not here this week, but in his absence, never fear, we have a great supplement. I have assembled a consortium of informed and angry internet citizens. Hello, Mumble Chatroom. Why don't we list off, say hello, chronologically. I'm McCarthy. I'm Anonymous. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> dream. Very good. So we've got and we've you know, I understand it's a, it's a little awkward. We Mr. Chase is out this week, but this is this is one of those weeks where I was like, we could take a sick day. And we and I I'm gonna be honest with you guys. I mean, I kinda had a special day planned for Chase. I, I, I charged up my Samsung Galaxy S that has Ubuntu Touch loaded on it. Just so that way he could play with it. And I actually got a physical bell for him that he could ring on his own. Here it is. That's a real bell, but he's not here. He's not here because he's a little under the weather and he needs to recharge the batteries. And that's okay because he'll be back next week. And instead, we do have our consortium on the Mumble Chat server. And they're gonna, they're gonna, uh, they're gonna, they're gonna take advantage of the open mic opportunity we have on 69, which this is a good opportunity to do it right before we hit number 70. And with the hell of a news pile we have to dig through this week, I mean, an unbelievable amount of news. If you haven't heard, the federal government <laughs> has been partially shut down. And there's actually been some amazing NSA leaks that are huge. And in fact, we've had teases of even bigger revelations that are coming up. Silk Road has been shut down this week. And there is a GMO labeling battle taking place here in my home state, Washington, that is getting dirtier and dirtier. But I thought maybe we'd start with our first topic this week. Now, is the beginning of October. October 1st marked the beginning of the Obamacare era, as Fox News calls it. I think that's a pretty good name. And unfortunately, it was met with a few glitches. 
launch of Obamacare, it received a definitive diagnosis of... Glitchy. Some technical glitches. Few glitches. And the symptoms of glitchy were grave, but not terminal. Error messages, website crashes. An hour per page to load. Please, Please wait. wait. The whole screen just froze up. That little annoying kind of like twirly thing. Now, I just want to say, I got to give credit to Michael Dominic from Coda Radio that aired on Monday of this week. Totally, he called this. And I mean, obviously, in retrospect, it does seem like it was going to happen. But he totally called this. And on the pre-show, we had a good chat about how bad this was going to be. Um, I'll tell you about my experience after I finish this clip. Across the land, those hunched over their computers searching for affordable health care uttered two little syllables. Uh-oh. Got a message that said, health care insurance marketplace is busy. Please wait. But we know who's really responsible for crashing the system. The devil? It's those pesky press people testing it out. Oh, I, I kept that. getting an error message. So I pretended like I really was doing it. Now I'm on hold. It's my second time calling. Health and Human Services says that in the first 24 hours, 4.7 million people visited healthcare.gov. And we could almost swear 4.6 million of them were reporters and producers. <laughs> We started about 35 minutes ago, so at this point, I'm going to hang up and call it a day. Some might call that a failure, but not the Obama administration. A few glitches, but it's it's sort of a, um, a great problem to have. It cannot handle the volume of traffic. Too many people signing up is always the surest sign that nobody wants it. <laughs> Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid compared Obamacare to Google, quoting one of Google's co-founders. He told me when they first came online, oh, did they have problems? They had problems because too many people wanted to use Google. And if the computer doesn't work, you can always resort to the phone. I mean, look at these numbers. Why, why is there even a hashtag button down here? Are we, are we supposed to, are we supposed to tweet our health problems now? Okay, so Obamacare didn't exactly launch with a bang. But within minutes, thud. It's been more like a sputter. Hey, at least people have questions they want answered. Questions people have about Obamacare, number 10. uh, Will Obama examine me? No, no, that's... Genimo, CNN. This is where my patients would be exhausted. New York. (laughs) Okay, so I've been trying the uh, Washington Health Exchange because, yes, I am uh, one of those people who decided to start his own small business, which consists of himself and contract employees, and I have no health coverage. And uh, we are paying out the nose right now to have my wife and three children covered. And it is of a temporary means even how we are accomplishing that. So I've actually been looking forward to uh, take advantage of uh, the Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act, as uh, some people call it. And I'll tell you what, I haven't been able to get on the Washington Exchange site once. It has been so slammed. So I thought I would take the advantage of the fact that we have a mumble room filled with Folks in the U.S., but also folks outside. I believe we have somebody in the U.K. We have uh, somebody in Australia. And I'm, I thought, you know, one of the criticisms we get about the Unfiltered show is that we don't often have a global view, even though we try. But sometimes some of these issues are U.S.-centric and we have a U.S.-centric view. As, as this Obamacare rollout happens, anybody in the mumble room who's outside the U.S., what what is your impression? Are, are 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 we crazy Yanks that we don't have medical coverage? Are we doing it completely wrong? Should we have gone with a single payer system, or are we are we should we just scrap the whole thing? Anybody want to take that? Imagination, or is America the only country that doesn't have um, institutionalized healthcare that's like universal? 
Yeah, that's of the yeah yeah that's that's sort of the criticism that's lobbied at us pretty frequently is that we're the only industrialized industrialized nation uh, that doesn't have coverage. But um, you know, I think that speaks more to the origination of the nation than it does any particular comment on its moral stance or something like that. I'm I'm not sure. I guess so. I do other nation other nations have some sort of socialized medicine because the theory would go and maybe I'm wrong you guys tell me if I'm right the theory would go that uh if you keep the general population healthy then uh okay so let me back up so the current the current um messaging is the the system that we have now is essentially socialized medicine because those who have means have to end up paying for those who come to the ER room and then we have laws in place that say you have to help them. So what we essentially have is the definition of a a distribution of wealth because taxpayers pay for the people who can't pay for their own medicine. Now, if you go to somewhere else, they say, well, we just avoid all of that by having a a, a program that we offer all of our citizens. Is that the theory? Am Am I wrong here? What you described almost sounds as if it's something like corporate socialism. Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> Could you explain what you mean by that? As as in we're paying into the insurance companies and it's going into a pool and they pay whenever we need to have that coverage. And they're also having to cover the cost of those that don't have insurance going to the emergency room. And to to in an essence, it's the it's the insurance companies themselves are actually companies and not the governments. Right. Right. I mean this is forcing me into when yeah. I mean, this is to me. This seems like oh, a lot of people are saying this is negative for the insurance companies, but this is sort of like guaranteeing them a bunch of customers. Yeah, which is why they're signing up for it because they get loads more customers than what they would get now. Yeah. Um, but in in like in UK, it's it's the government that holds the insurance, not companies, for profit companies. Yeah. Yeah, and see what what seems to me is is there and what I wonder is there an analogy here. Between these toxic loans where people who were not qualified to pay for a mortgage then were given loans and then, of course, that led to a bubble which then when people, when it popped, nobody could afford their house that, that got one of those loans. Is there something – is there an analogy here to be drawn to medical coverage that maybe this is sort of uh, – we're going to create like a medical industry bubble? Yeah, it's going to I think... get to that point, but the, yeah, I think it's always bad when you have uh, um, healthcare has a profit motive behind it. Kind of crazy. Then, then you can yeah. just pretty much market on death. <laughs> well, and the other problem is, is that you make more money off sustaining life other than curing disease, right? Sustaining the disease, keeping the disease at bay, but not not neutralizing the disease. And unfortunately, that does seem to be the trend right now. Medications that help keep something at bay or reduce symptoms, get approved much more quickly, and then things that actually cure, well, those never get approved, really. And, you know... Well, they just don't reveal them. Yeah, very true. So, I don't know. I I'm, I'm, I, I look at Obamacare, and we're going to get into the government shutdown topic specifically here in a little bit, but I, I look at Obamacare and I think, we almost have to do something at this point, because it. I, I feel... And I know this sounds crazy, but as a as a person who's it's not a startup, but as a person who has a, who wants to have a home business and and wants to have what they call a lifestyle business, where I don't have to get crazy rich, I just have to be able to pay for my essentials and do the thing that I love doing. But even just and so I mean I, I tell you that in all honesty to give you an, an, a perspective of of what my aspirations are. I don't 
I don't need to be a millionaire. I just need to make the mortgage payment and, and put food on the table and do what I love. And I, I truly believe, I truly believe the biggest hurdle to me doing that is the healthcare situation, especially as a father of three children. The biggest, the biggest hurdle, the biggest gamble, the biggest risk that I take is that healthcare aspect of it. And the, and the fundamental fact that we cannot ignore is that the very nature of our economy is changing. There is going to be more entrepreneurs, more contract workers, more people who do not have a quote-unquote nine-to-five job. That is the nature of our economy, especially in a globalized environment. And that means more and more people, as we tick closer to 2020, are going to not be qualified for some sort of health care plan that their business, that their 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 job, their J-O-B offers them. That's where I we're think, headed. Um... I think uh, one of the vlog brothers brought up, brought up that point when they're bringing up examples of various YouTubers that when it comes to if you don't have to worry about your situation as far as health insurance goes, it allows you to better flow your creative energies into something a lot more productive. I mean, that's very hippie, but it is very true. Like the biggest the, – the, uh, as a content creator, I have a lot of shows that I'm keeping track of now and the, the biggest attractor – from the performance of those shows is anytime I take attention away from creating a show and put attention on managing the business. And there are plenty of ways in which this reflects. I mean, it is apparent to the, to the reoccurring viewer that this is obviously my conundrum. This is no secret. And healthcare is obviously one of these huge obstacles because I am trying to operate in such a way that my cost, my running cost can be sustainable on an internet business. And to do that, I have to keep it lean. I have to keep it mean. I have to keep it focused. And it, 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 honestly, healthcare is this, is one of these issues that we keep backburnering. We, we, we take advantage of COBRA offerings or whatever the hell we can to just sustain for a little while. And it, 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 it gnaws at me. In the long run, it gnaws at me, and it does detract from me focusing on creating a sustainable, profitable business that is a contributing member of a new type of economy. That's all. That's all I got to say on that. Um, any other any other thoughts from the mumble room before we move on to our next topic? I just think personally, it would be better if we did have like a government based healthcare system and then a private based healthcare system, just because it involves you know, actually trying to lower costs for people. Just a quick thought. Uh, a lot of people who are younger, um, in their mid-20s-ish, move out from their parents' house and therefore are not covered by their parents and do not have a good enough job that the job will cover their insurance. They don't have insurance for a couple of years, but it's usually not that big a deal because they are very healthy and don't take, I don't know, too many risks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Those people will end up paying more short term. Right. Right. And there's also the, I also get penalized. I am being penalized for a gap in coverage uh, because I have opted to take the risk on personally. And right now I have no medical coverage. So I have now I am a higher risk because I have been uncovered. I, I, I have I have, God forbid, existed with a, without this magical thing that I pay money into every single month, even though I would never take advantage of because I am way too busy. But yet, that all of a sudden makes me a higher risk. And I, it just drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. You're a higher risk because they're not monitoring what you're doing. Right. Well, you know that's what? what it, that's what it sounds like to me. If you're take, you've taken that year out of not paying into an insurance policy. You're not on their grid. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, you know who is on everyone's grid? That would be the U.S. citizens and the freaking NSA. 
the New York Times is continuing to dig through some of Snowden's leaks, and now it's come out that uh, the uh, NSA is using the social network profiles on LinkedIn, Google+, Facebook, Twitter to build geolocation uh, mappings and interconnections between people's um, relationships. And of course, nothing we didn't expect before, but now we have the proof. The NSA isn't only tracking metadata from your phone calls and email logs, it's using that information to create a sophisticated web of social connections of some U.S. citizens, according to documents leaked to the New York Times. We assume as Americans that if somebody, if the government is looking at your information, it's because they have a reason, because you're suspected of a crime. This slide from an NSA PowerPoint presentation shows how analysts use software to create diagrams to chart a person's social ties, locations at certain times, their traveling companions and other personal information, according to the documents leaked by former government contractor Edward Snowden. The policy shift intended to help the agency discover and track when there is a link between an intelligence interest overseas and a U.S. citizen. The NSA can also draw on material from Facebook profiles, GPS location information, insurance information, property records, and other public and commercial sources to better analyze Americans' phone and email now we know from these leaks that this is how the government is operating, that there is a much broader swath of people, that their Americans are included in this mix. I feel like I need somebody in studio just doing the sound effects. I mean, when I heard that clip, that was chunk. That's CNN's new uh, Today, every whatever they call it, their day show. And uh, man, they're just loading up. They got Michaela Pereira on there and they got awesome sound effects. Now, here's the details. Since 2010, the National Security Agency has been exploiting its huge collections of data sophisticated and creating sophisticated graphs on certain American social connections that they can identify their associates. Now, we've actually talked about this before on the Unfilter Show. Essentially, if you're, if you're within six hops of a suspected bad guy, then they can track everything about you. Uh, your locations at certain times, traveling companions, and other personal information, according to this is newly disclosed documents that uh, the New York Times has been digging through. Now, what this represented was a policy, policy shift. This wasn't always the case. This is a policy, policy shift, uh, yeah, shit, that intended to help the agency discover and track connections between intelligence targets overseas and people in the United States. This is according to an NSA memorandum from January of 2011. The agency was authorized to conduct large-scale graph analysis on very large sets of communications metadata without having to check the foreignness of it by every email address or phone number that they decided to take a look at. So Facebook is uh, really, truly in the NSA tool to track you. Anybody surprised by this? I mean, did you guys all assume if you posted on Twitter or if you posted on Facebook, the NSA was going to... I mean, did you actually honestly believe that they were reading it or did you did you jokingly think so? I, I knew they would. Well, can we break... Can, oh. That makes me glad I don't have a Facebook account. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, good call. Um, hmm. Can we really be surprised like this? I mean, if they have the data, this we all knew this was going to happen. Some of us just jokingly thought it, but we really knew it was happening. I actually agree. I've I've always thought this. I have. Uh, I mean, I cannot think of a time where I didn't think that. I guess what really influenced me was I when when I sort of realized that. History was so much more interesting than what they taught us in history class. And when I actually started reading and, um, you know, really kind of understanding the scope of how the U.S. government has always, always and always will take advantage of new technology as it develops. They always have 
They always will. And and honestly, as an American citizen, I probably got to say that's been in our best interest. Unfortunately, as that technology moves into social networking, where these insidious cloud services want to learn as much about you as possible so that way they can market to you, these the very fundamental design of these businesses is to acquire as much information about you as they can. And that, my friends, is so tempting to the federal government. Of course they were going to take advantage of this. Oh, and it's not surprising. I mean, as far as like what Snowden linked, that was not really a shock to me or surprising. It was just a confirmation of what I've already felt. Yeah, I mean, I agree, although it definitely set in. Um, I mean, to be totally honest with you guys today, actually, I, I felt like I had like a moment. Like it just hit me like we are everything we're doing is could potentially be tracked. And I'm potentially on that list doing this show and getting the emails that I get. I I might be on some sort of monitoring list. And then I start thinking about all the things I've said publicly and the fact that all of those things could be used against me. And it is very heavy. It's very um, chilling in a sense. It can be. And I mean, as far as you said about if, even if you're six hops from a person, I mean, think about the whole theory of seven degrees of separation. You're right. Yeah. And, uh, and exactly. everybody's connected, really, and especially in our in, you know, in, in tighter communities. Yeah, so if you've ever sent uh, an encrypted email, um, for example, if you deal with databases or you support a forum, um, you automatically, um, well, by law, you have to sort of encrypt databases as well when you send them by email or when you're making backups. So just because I've done that, I'm automatically on a watch list. That seems a bit wrong. Wasn't there a story I saw today about somebody being denied access to America because they spoke out against the NSA? Yeah, a, a German journalist, yeah, from Der Spiegel. Now, there is some there is actually a little silver lining. Uh, there has been some movement in Congress to try to rein some of this in. And what we essentially are creating is uh, the low levels in Congress are coming up against those on like the Intelligence Committee. Very quietly, efforts to reform the National Security Agency are moving forward in sort of a big way. Since June, Edward Snowden's revelations about how the NSA goes about spying on American citizens have led to more than a dozen pieces of legislation being introduced to reign in the NSA and bring light to the top-secret Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. This week, all those bills were fused together into one bill, the most comprehensive and most aggressive NSA reform bill introduced yet. The bill was unveiled Wednesday by a bipartisan group of senators, including Ron Wyden, Mark Udall, Richard Blumenthal, and Rand Paul. Now, it will restrict the NSA's ability to continue the mass collection of Americans' phone data under Section 215 of the Patriot Act. It also limits collection of certain Internet communications under Section 702 of the FISA Amendments Act. Also, it closes the back door that allows analysts at the NSA to search through Americans' data that may have been swept up into the NSA databases. The law also reforms the FISA court by putting in place a special privacy advocate to act as an adversary against government requests for information. Now, we've covered these changes before. These are all pretty weak, limp-wristed changes, including this government advocate. This would be a government a- this would be a people's advocate appointed by the government. Sort of like when you go to trial and you can't afford a lawyer, so then one is provided for you. Oh, wow, that's going to be effective. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, today, NSA Chief Keith Alexander was called to testify in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee alongside the Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, 
who defended, once again, his spying programs. All of us in the intelligence community are very much aware that the recent unauthorized disclosures have raised serious concerns both here in Congress and across the nation about our intelligence activities. We know that the public wants both to understand how its intelligence community uses its special tools and authorities and to judge whether we can be trusted to use them appropriately. We believe we have been lawful and that the rigorous oversight we've operated under has been effective. Now, sensing Congress may take action, the NSA is making appeals to the American people. Keith Alexander spoke at the National Press Club yesterday saying, the American people have to weigh in and help us get the tools we need to defend uh -huh. this country. Now we do. Of course, since the leaks, polling has routinely showed the American people uncomfortable with the NSA's activities. Oh, strange. Yeah. What do we be? Oh, I can't imagine why we might be uncomfortable. I am living every day uncomfortably, actually, as it turns out. And it's just getting worse and worse. And of course, um, there was a lot of uh, great things uh, that were uh, that were said in a recent hearing. It's long. I thought about uh, maybe including some of it in like the supporter show because we we play a lot of great clips in there. But it was even even too long for that. However, I dialed in on the moment that I think was the juiciest from a recent hearing on all these NSA revelations, where Diane Feinstein essentially confirms the Gibson theory by she's she by reading from a, a prepared statement, she outs the collection of upstream data. May I interrupt this just sure. to respond? In mid-2011, NSA notified the DOJ, the DNI, and the FISA court, and House and Senate Intelligence Committees. Now, you got to understand, um, Diane is rich, corrupt, and just doesn't have the time to learn terminology, even though this is probably one of the most important things she's working on, she just can't be bothered to learn the difference between background and backbone. Of a series of compliance incidents impacting a subset of NSA collection under Section 702 of FISA, known as upstream collection. Oh? This comprises about 10% of all collection that takes place under 702 and occurs when NSA obtains internet communications, such as emails, from certain U.S. companies that operate the internet background, i.e. the companies that own and operate the domestic telecommunication lines over which internet traffic flows. In essence, the issue that arose in 2011 was that NSA, while trying to acquire emails to, from, or about an overseas target, realized it and was inadvertent that it was inadvertently acquiring other emails, including some emails sent between persons inside the United States that happened to be bundled with the email messages NSA was trying to collect. Bundled. This bundling is done by internet companies in other to make <laughs> in order to make it easier to send information quickly over the telecom lines that make up the internet. Hey, Mumble, uh, have you guys signed up for the new Gmail bundling service? <laughs> Why are they going to bundle your email? <laughs> you know what that means? That means they just sucked everything. They sucked it all up. And of course, because the servers send everything as they're sent. And, and, and the concept that, that Google would hold something. No, Google sends it immediately. Bundled my ass. Unless they send a car. <laughs> <laughs> it's a series of tubes. It's a series of tubes. Now, uh, of course, 
we actually had, despite all of the shutdown shenanigans, we had hearings happening today over the NSA spying. And this, this is really where there's all of these bills coming together from the lower levels, you know, the schmucks of Congress, the the, the idiots that want to support the people. And they're going up against the elites that happen to have permanent roles on intelligence committees. The government shutdown debate has really exposed the deep divisions between Democrats and Republicans in Congress. On the other hand, the recent revelations about the NSA's spying activities are actually bringing both parties together. In the House and in the Senate, bipartisan legislation is moving forward to end the NSA's mass data collection on American citizens and provide more transparency to the top-secret Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. In the face of this push to reign in the NSA, the top intelligence officials in the United States testified at its Senate hearing today. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper and Keith Alexander, the director of the NSA, have been regular fixtures on Capitol Hill, getting grilled by members who were only informed about the intelligence community's activities thanks to Edward Snowden's leaks. Today, Alexander admitted to once testing whether the NSA could track American cell phone locations, but denied an article recently published in the New York Times on Saturday that said the agency was creating social graphs of American citizens detailing who they associate with. Not all lawmakers are convinced that the NSA needs considerable reform. Senator Dianne Feinstein, the chairwoman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, vowed today to protect the NSA. I love how how the people who are supposedly supposed to be the NSA's oversight are so obviously in the bag. They're so obviously working for that agency. They're so and these are permanent elected members because once they learn the secret. It can't become permanent because no one else can know. It, it is incredible. So anything Diane says, of course, is, is, you know, that's law. I so regret what is happening. I will do everything I can to prevent this program from being canceled out. There's going to be a bill in my committee to do it. There's a bill in this committee to do it. It is legal. We are looking at increased transparency. We are looking to make some changes in it, but we are not looking to destroy it. To de- Let's play that back. Diane just said it's legal. We are looking at increasing. There's going to be a bill in my committee to do it. There's a bill in this committee to do it. It is legal. We are looking at increased transparency. We are looking to make some changes in it, but we are not looking to destroy it. To destroy it is to make this nation more vulnerable. Republicans and Democrats may agree on curtailing the NSA powers, but there are deep divisions within both parties between leadership like Senator Feinstein and rank and file members like Senator Ron Wyden or Congressman Justin Amash. And exactly what NSA reforms look like, if they ever happen, depends on who wins this debate between leadership and the rest of Congress. Leadership is pretty powerful, and they also get the benefit of getting the microphone on the big networks. Seems to be... These the, so when you when you when you take these thirty different um, uh, bills and bundle them together, it's sort of to me it seems like a last ditch effort. It made me kind of want to puke, really. Yeah. When she said that. Oh, I know, I know. Um, and of course, uh, we've gotten a couple of interesting bits on September twentieth. The Quest CEO, who uh, resisted NSA spying. He was actually um, let out. Of, what's the term when you're 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 released from? I guess released. You're released from prison after his release from custody on September 20th. He told the Wall Street Journal that he feels "quote unquote" 
vindicated by the content of leaks from Snowden. He shows uh, – he said that he was uh, – by the way, if you're not familiar with the Quest CEO, some of you might not be. Uh, he was one of – he was actually the only telco that said, no, I won't participate in the prison program. And then surprisingly afterwards, he was convicted of selling Quest stock in early 2001 – and that was not long before the company hit some financial troubles. He claimed in court documents that he was optimistic about the firm's, the firm's ability to you know, win classified government contracts. But after they refused to join the NSA program, uh, they succeeded at – the government succeeded at pulling a bunch of contracts out, which caused their stock to crash, which then they were able to catch him in insider trading and boom, he goes into jail. It's pretty shaky. Um, and one of the teases we got this week – was from an unfiltered, uh, an unfiltered um, return. I don't know. We've talked about Jeremy Shale uh, before. He's talk- He's he's been um, involved in a, a lot of the uh, east eastern policies of the United States, including the drone strikes. Uh, over the weekend, uh, he told an audience in Brazil that the Guardian uh, would be publishing via Glenn Greenwald a. Uh, a report on how the National Security Agency plays a significant role in the U.S. assassination program. I assume this is the drone assassination program. Um, he says that uh, in 2010, Top Secret America, which was reported by uh, Will Atkin at the Washington Post, they said there that they uh, – back then the Washington Post reported on the fact that there is a capture-kill squad where they have a joint special operations command with a huge advantage where they look at signal intelligence. Well, this Guardian report is going to define what that signal intelligence is and how the NSA provides the data for the drone kill list. And that will probably be in next week's episode of Unfiltered. Pretty wild stuff. We don't uh, – it's funny because Glenn Greenwald had a Reddit AMA and he said, well, I'm never going to tease anymore about what's coming out. But this is a clear tease about what's coming out. Even though it was coming from Jeremy Shale, it's a clear tease that they have something coming. Um, so anyways, we'll have more information about that in the show notes. Now, uh, one thing to note about the NSA as we're going on is well, there's been various reports that the NSA is shut down due to the government sh- um, spending shutdown. On Friday, the Defense, Defense Department released its plans for detailing a potential shutdown. In a memo, it indicated the intelligence surveillance programs were listed as essential duties, and the department would not be affected by the shutdown. So keep that in mind as we proceed now through the rest of the show. But before we get to the rest of the show, I want to thank our Unfiltered supporters. We had a great turnout for this week, and I really appreciate that. I want to th- say thank you to Don Jr., Louis V., Paul L., Andreas, Peter, Pitar, and P- Pitar, Pitar. Sorry, Patar, Patar N, Charles K, Frederick M, Kenneth M, Martin E, and Kevin A, and of course, a name brethren, Christopher G. That brings us to 189 unfiltered supporters. What? What is an unfiltered supporter, you might ask? We have a unique way of approaching the unfiltered program. We tr- we're trying to reach 333. We're at 189 right now. 333 $5 a month supporters would make the unfiltered show break even for one day of produ- production. Now, let's be honest. When there's weeks where the government goes into shutdown and that S is happening, and it, you know, that's something I want to capture live. This is obviously the type of show where I'm up at 9 o'clock at night, I'm up at midnight, I'm up at all crazy hours working on the show. So one day, that's a pipe dream. But what that lets me do as a business person, as as a man who's got to pay the bills, it lets me say, well, you know what, I fund at least a day of my week, uh, one day out of my week is funded by Unfilter. 
That's what the supporters club does. If we get above 333, which I'd love, I would love if we got above that, then Mr. Chase and I will actually start making a little bit of a profit from the show. That would be fantastic. But right now, what we've done is we've set up the Unfiltered Supporters Show. That's an additional show. In fact, Unfiltered Supporters are clocking in at, oh, one hour and 36 minutes. That's how long the Unfiltered Supporters Show is right now. And that's an additional show that includes more clips, more context to what we talk about. And in fact, a lot of things move in and out of the Unfiltered Supporters Show. They come into the show, they come out like the GMO stuff we're going to talk about. Or something that remains in the Unfiltered Supporters Show has been this Hillary Clinton documentary stuff that has totally been killed this week. We've been following all of that in the supporter show. And that's just an example of some of the stuff you get when you become an unfiltered supporter. You also get a newsletter after every single episode where it includes like some behind the scenes stuff, extra links. If there's a video, like if one particular clip that we play, like if, if we're going through all of our clips, I'm like, God, this one really needs a visuals. I'll link it in the supporter show. I had one in particular, but I'm holding it until Mr. Chase comes back. Once Mr. Chase comes back, the Unfiltered Newsletter will have a video of what I think is the most atrocious advertisement ever. It is the perfect example. It is the quintessential example of our time where they actually are exploiting the whole NSA surveillance state in their advertisement, and it is running on all of the news networks. And this, this is why we have the Unfiltered Supporters Club, because this show, this show should not chase the audience numbers to appease an advertiser, because that would produce a watered-down piece of shit. It would be crap. It would be a show that is designed to appeal to the mass audience, and it would be dumbed down, we'd be afraid to say anything, and of course, we'd always have to be worried about offending the wrong person. That's not something we want to have to worry about on the show, and that's something that the Unfiltered Supporters Club solves, because the only number this show has to worry about is the amount of supporters we have, keeping those people happy, making sure that those people appreciate what we're creating, and those are the only people we have to answer to, and that allows us to create honest content that is focused on the weekly events without having to make some sort of gimmick out of it. And that otherwise, is huge. Captain, otherwise, Captain, it would be most illogical. Exactly. Exactly. And you know what? You see that, don't you? Like when you look at CNN and you watch NBC, you watch all of them, you're like, what the hell are they talking about? And it's because they're creating some sort of derived product that they can sell to an advertiser based on a concept of how they're going to cover things. It's, it's shit. It's puke. It's puke. Exactly. You can't have an unbiased show if you have to keep sponsors happy. There you go. So uh, you can go over to any episode of the Unfiltered Show and click on the show notes. And then down in there, we'll have a button to become a supporter. Martin wrote in this week, he said, I've been listening to the Unfiltered Show for a while now and felt like it was about time. I helped it along a little. I enjoy the entire Jupiter Broadcasting Network and will continue to do so as long as you're all around. I'm finally an Unfiltered supporter. So thank you to Martin and all of the other contributors. If you have become a supporter and you didn't hear your name called out, let me know. Email me, chris at jupiterbroadcasting.com. If you paid by Bitcoin, you can do that to stay anonymous. But if you want to become part of the supporters newsletter, that way you get the link and all that, you got to let me know. So send me an email because Bitcoin is completely anonymous unless you decide to out yourself. Then you have to send me an email and I'll add you to our supporters list. And we do, of course, appreciate that. Keeps us on the air. And hopefully we're creating something that you guys find of value. All right, Mumble Room. You guys ready to get into, I think, what is the main topic of the day, this whole shutdown shenanigans that I'm calling it, (laughs) the showdown that we have? So Let's do it. I like a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, you guys are optimistic. Uh, Unlike other things that I've covered, one of the nice things about this uh, shutdown showdown was that it was happening on the East Coast timeline. So I was able to get live clicks at uh, live clips at nine o'clock at night. I didn't have to like stay up till midnight to... uh, to get the live clips. And one of the networks that I really thought was 
just taken to the max, was CNN. They had a countdown all day long. Countdown until the federal government shuts down. And it was clicking down. Like like I ha- often have on our live streams before we show, I will have a countdown so that way you know when, the li- when, when it happens. This was like this dramatic countdown that they had going before it. And then they played it all the way through the Aaron Burnett show. Aaron Burnett was live, man. She had... She had roundtable discussions, and then she handed off to Pierce Morgan just as the federal government shut down. Midnight on the East Coast, you're looking live at the Capitol. Our breaking news tonight, the government of the United States of America has shut down. It hasn't happened for 17 years, but now it has. We'll see the effects almost immediately. Listen to a clearly exasperated President Obama a little earlier this evening. A shutdown will have a very real economic impact on real people, right away. If anyone can make sense of this, we'll put it down. Well, I'm hoping that you can make sense of this, because to me, uh, a British guy over here is a great guest of your great country. So I want to put this in perspective. Both Wolf Blitzer and Pierce Morgan and Aaron Burnett, so I guess all of them and all of their crew, are staying up to cover this ass live. So you got Wolf Blitzer because... You got to understand, uh, Anderson Cooper, he's too busy. He's too busy. He can't be in. So Wolf Blitzer is standing in for Anderson in his time slot. I find this utterly baffling. I can't imagine it'll last very long. I think it, it could last a few hours, could last a few days. The last time it happened, uh, it, back in early 1996, December 95, January 96, it lasted for about 20 days. 20 days. And uh, this this is true. Back in the Clinton administration, uh, a lot of the same players actually were involved, or at least some of the same players were involved. And there was a shutdown back then. Oh, only then it was over creating a balanced budget. And it seemed like the, 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 the reasons for shutdown were a little more trivial and the rhetoric was a, a little lower. But let's keep in perspective what actually is part of this shutdown. One faction of one party in one house of Congress, in one branch of government, doesn't get to shut down the entire government just to refight the results of an election. Not everything gets shut down. Troops will continue to be paid. Social Security checks will continue to go out. Medicare and Medicaid benefits, too. And the post office will remain open. But every national park will be shuttered. Veteran support centers closed. More than 800,000 federal workers told to stay home without pay. Now, the Postal Service might remain open, but they actually just defaulted as of October 1st on their $5.6 billion payment. Uh, this is a quote here. They say, uh, we have not made the required $5.6 billion retiree health benefits pre-funding payment on September 30th, 2013. This is, of course, the USPS spokesperson, uh, Patricia Latina. Latina? Latina? She added that the default has absolutely nothing to do with the federal government shutdown. We've been saying for several months that we'd be defaulting on this payment. And this is the third time that we have done so. Posted officials have long complained about congressional mandate that requires them to set aside billions of dollars for retiree health care funds each year. The Postal Service has defaulted on these pre-fund payments for the last year. In fiscal 2012, the Postal Service lost a total of $15.9 billion, including 11 point, I'm sorry, 11 0.1 billion in defaulted payments that it owes to pre-fund its health care benefits. So we do have something shut down. The parks are shut down. Um, uh, an estimated 800,000 uh, federal workers are furloughed. I have heard estimates. Some people say $300 million a day. 
Uh, Pierce Morgan says a billion dollars a day is the cost. But I think it's funny to keep in perspective. This isn't the first time we've been to this rodeo. House Speaker John Boehner originally did not want to tie the effort to defund Obamacare to the government spending bill. Uh, our goal here is to cut spending. Uh, it's not to shut down the government. Uh, I believe that uh, that trying to put Obamacare on this vehicle uh, risks shutting down the government. That's not what our goal is. And yet, here we are. Ultimately, there were enough House Republicans demanding that the efforts be tied together that Boehner changed his mind. Why? Well, a source close to the speaker says he has seen people rise and fall. In fact, he was one of them. In 1997, when Boehner, then the House Republican Conference chair, was part of a small group of House Republican leaders who met to discuss ousting their fellow Republican, then Speaker Newt Gingrich, well, the effort did not work. Boehner claimed he was gathering information, not conspiring, but either way, by 1998, his fellow Republicans ousted Boehner from leadership. Upon hearing the bad news, Boehner told an aide, we're going to smile, we're going to work hard, and earn our way back. And he did just that. You could never have projected in 98 the recovery of John Boehner. How? I think first of all, just his, his discipline takes an unusual level of willpower to be defeated by your colleagues and make a comeback with the very same colleagues. But also a key part of this all, memories of losing his leadership job. His current gig is far from 100% secure. It's no secret that uh, your caucus is, can sometimes be difficult to steer. Really? <laughs> when he uh, was sworn in as speaker, he had 15 rebels vote against him on the House floor. Uh, he has this group of 30 to 40 hardcore conservatives that are more than willing to, to dump John Boehner any chance they can. His lesson from 1998? Listen to your members and try to adapt to what they want. Sometimes leading, sometimes following, sometimes protecting them from themselves, and sometimes, as with the government shutdown, letting them learn the lesson that if you touch a pot on a hot stove, you might get burned. Ouch. Not enough House Republicans believe that their current path is likely one that will hurt them politically. When, if that changes... Boehner will pursue a path out. He has a very aggressive part of his caucus, and he has a president who is dramatically harder to deal with than Bill Clinton was. So I think uh, I would rate Boehner's job as much harder than mine was. And Boehner is determined to never be exiled again. We've got uh, a lot of divergent opinions in the caucus, and the key uh, to uh, any leadership job uh -huh. is to listen. Oh. You know, uh, I was here uh, during the Gingrich era. I'm just listening. Really, I'm just listening. Uh, he had a uh, little plaque that was in his office, and uh, it, was for, it was a management model. Uh -huh. Listen, learn, help, and lead. Uh, we listened to our colleagues over the course of the last week. We have a plan that they're happy with. Yeah, so here's, here's what this comes across to me, is Boner is uh, playing a different game here. He's playing uh, the long game. He's playing the Obama game. He's letting the Tea Party folks burn themselves out, is my suspicion. Because Boner knows that he doesn't have the power to stop them. There's too many people that are either dead set on this or that can be swayed by this. Yeah, there's about about 40 representatives that can be swayed by the by the uh, hardliners. So when it all comes down, he can't really quite fight it. But at the same time, he knows how this is going to play out, I suspect. And, and the reason why I say that is because... Boner comes from the old school. He's part of the old establishment. You know, that same group that McCain's from. ...to have the benefit of being true, doesn't it? What is going on 
with the heart of the GOP here because it seems to me that large numbers of your party don't realise what a potential laughing stock they are making of the entire party. Well, first of all, in their defense, uh, these individuals, particularly House members, campaigned saying that they would go to Washington and they would do anything in order to uh, repeal and replace Obamacare. And by the way, one of the ironies is that this does not stop Obamacare. It stops government, but it doesn't stop the funding of Obamacare. That's exactly right. The irony in all of the uh, government shutdown is that Obamacare is moving right ahead. And of course, President Obama says that uh, all of this, even just the showdown with the, with the government coming to a stop, it hurts the economy. But, uh, but CBS kind of helps us keep in perspective it's about October 17th. President Obama says the shutdown will throw a wrench into the gears of the recovering economy. Experts believe the impact depends on how long it lasts. Anthony Mason is with us. Anthony, good morning. Good morning, Charlie. How will we see the impact? Well, I think it depends on how long this lasts. I mean, in the short term, there isn't a huge impact. And then most Americans won't even feel it unless you plan a vacation to Yosemite or we're going to go to the right. Smithsonian. You know, it, 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 you won't feel it. I mean, you're still Social Security checks are still coming. That's the important stuff. Mail's still going to be delivered. But if this goes into a second week, things will start to change. I think the real pressure here will come from the market if it senses this is going on longer than it thought. The farm market's good. If you good. look at the numbers, though, the Dow fell more and there was a longer impact in the economy from the debt limit fight, right? right. Rather than the last time there was a government shutdown. That, that's the real scary part of this. If we get to that and we don't have a resolution, you could have real panic because that brings into account financial markets. That's the treasury market. If for some reason we don't start paying our bills, then you know what? The whole treasury market seizes up and that's what the whole world functions. And like. when is that going to happen? That's in the middle of the month on the 17th. Now, we've talked about in episode 68 about the importance of the bond market and the treasury market in the world economy. And we're going to talk more about that as the show goes on. I want to get back to the October 17th thing. But before we get too far down the blame game road here, I want to give Senator Graham's perspective a little bit of air on the show. Senator Graham says that, you know, really, this is Obama's fault. Obama's not taking charge. Obama needs to take this opportunity and say, I'm the commander in chief. And this is threatening America's security. Our next guest suggests Republicans will survive this shutdown. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina serves on the Senate Armed Services and Appropriations Committees. Senator, you have seen this movie before. You were a freshman yeah. congressman back in 1995. Uh, so what do you think about Republican prospects of coming out of this one without being blamed for it by voters? Well, we'll take a hit in the short term, but six months from now, we're not going to be talking about the government shutdown of October 2013. We're going to be talking about how Obamacare is killing jobs and people are confused and can't sign up and how bad the uh, Obamacare is for the economy. So we'll take a short term hit, but Democrats up for election in 2014 are going to have a big burden to carry into that election is called Obamacare. But you have also been quoted as saying that you don't believe that the actions that uh, have taken place in the Republican-controlled House have been the best tactic. Well, I think the tactic of trying to defund Obamacare by shutting down the government where the president was going to bend our will never made a whole lot of sense to me. I think what the House should continue to do is attack Obamacare on all fronts, but the government shutdown uh, needs to get behind us. But there is... The idea of not negotiating by the Senate Democrats, to me, is absurd. 
sit down with House Republicans. There's some compromise to be had on Obamacare. 34 Democratic senators voted to repeal the medical device tax, part of funding Obamacare that's killing jobs in the medical device industry. There's some common ground about Obamacare itself that would allow us to reopen the government and change Obamacare for the better. So our Democratic colleagues in the Senate are taking a very irresponsible approach saying we won't negotiate with the House. The House has actually become much more compromising in nature. But here's something nobody's talked about. The government shutdown of 95 and 96 was before 9-11. I was just at a hearing about... So I want you to pay attention to this because it sound, while it sounds like Graham was on board with the whole shutdown plan... He actually only provides reasons why it's a bad idea. About 15 minutes ago, where Director Clapper was in nature, but here's something nobody's talked about. The government shutdown of 95 and 96 was before 9-11. I was just at a hearing about 15 minutes ago where Director Clapper and General Alexander, the head of NSA, said that 70% of our intelligence community has been furloughed. Not that they're not essential, but under the law, the only people who can keep on is the ones to deal with direct threats. They said that our national security is very much compromised by the government shutdown, that we're less safe. You got McCain saying this isn't necessarily the right way to do it. In fact, he even said, ironically, this only shuts down the government, doesn't stop Obamacare. Now you got Lindsey Graham saying this makes us more vulnerable to terrorists. If that is true, have they told that to the commander in chief? And if what they told us is true, and I believe it to be true, where is our commander in chief? Why isn't he on the phone right now calling the Senate and House leadership and telling them our nation is at risk because of the government shutdown, is compromising our intelligence gathering capabilities, it will uh, help the terrorists uh -huh. and hurt us uh -huh. in terms of defending ourselves. Uh -huh. If you, why isn't the commander in chief leading to get a result here? Yeah, it's Obama's fault. Why isn't he leading to get a result? What a jackass. So it's interesting because McCain and McGram, uh, McGram, <laughs> Lindsey Graham are out there saying, yeah, we kind of agree with it. But uh, by the way, it's a bad idea. And I think, now, well, go ahead. I was going to say, I kind of agree with some of the sentiments of, uh, I forget who mentioned it, but there's somebody from Alabama that said, you know, this is not the way to go about it. Obamacare should either succeed or fail based on its own merits, not by having a government shutdown try to stop the funding of the program. This, to me, seems like the fundamental issue. At the end of the day, you got to ask yourself, if it goes to the Supreme Court and they say, okay, then what, what – now what it seems like to me is it seems like a Hail Mary approach where if Obama allows this, if Obama compromises, if Obama gives, what you said is a precedent. And what that precedent is is that any time there's an issue that one particular party – and granted, this time it's the Republicans or the Tea Party. But next time it could be the Democrats if, you know, um, I don't know who gets in office. But some Republican gets in office next time in 2016. It could just as well be the Democrats. And if, if you say, well, it doesn't matter how many times it's been voted. It doesn't matter if it goes to the Supreme Court. If it will, at the end of the day, we'll shut down the government to fight it. Now, I think I'm being maybe a little pessimistic because... If I listen to Rand Paul, it's not actually the Tea Partiers who are not compromising on this, because after all, this is a bad law. It is their duty to take to do this. It is their duty to fight um, this. You know, and one thing is like uh, Graham Cracker has it really wrong when he's trying to. Uh, Graham Cracker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyways, he has it wrong. Like 
<laughs> you can't force people to change their minds or to do their votes. Well, I mean, you're talking about the public, right? I mean, all even even just the senators and the House representatives. You can't change their minds or their votes. I mean, they're going to vote where they're going to vote. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, can I get this straight? Yeah. A party in the American government spat their dummy out the pram, and now they're going to the Supreme Babysitter to take back a decision about Obamacare, and that's the whole reason why the government shut. Well, the Supreme Supreme Babysitter said it's cool. I mean, if you're talking about the Supreme Court, they said, uh, I mean, they said it's good. They said it passes the sniff test. Now you can disagree with it, but I guess so. uh, So why, if the Supreme Babysitter's like, yeah, cool, Obamacare can carry on, why don't they just get over it? Well, right. and get back they, to work. Because they want to throw their butt rattles out of the pram. Oh, yeah. And of course, um, another thought is it was only brought to the Supreme Court based on the individual mandate. Now, once Obamacare actually starts going into effect, which they should let it, if another constitutional issue comes up and goes to the Supreme Court, it could be another chance to have it turned down. Yeah, it's true. But it's already gone through, so it's a bit late now. Well, I'm speaking. Well, the only aspect of it that went to it was the individual mandate. There could be another aspect of Obamacare right. that gets brought to the Supreme Court. Well, and I think it's just the fact that they're worried about that it will succeed instead of failing. Well, you do have to wonder because there does seem to have been a master. Uh, I mean, a major amount of demand. And I also agree. And this is McCain's point. McCain's point, which is, I mean, here I am. By the way, hi, everybody. I'm on the Unfilter Show, agreeing with McCain. Let it pass into 2014. Fight it there. If there's something you want to take to the Supreme Court, because like it was just pointed out by our assembled Congress here, only the mandated coverage was brought to the Supreme Court. You can bring the other elements in 2014. It doesn't have to come to this. It doesn't have to come to this. However... You know, maybe we're looking at this the wrong way, because according to Rand and Hannity, it's Obama who won't compromise. And it's Obama who's really at fault here. That, and this inability to negotiate that I think ultimately the American people are going to say, who's being reasonable here? I think the Republicans are being very reasonable. Yeah, look, I think they've now given four separate proposals. Now they're going to fund the rest of the government. How they can be blamed for a government shutdown at this point is, is beyond me. But you know what? The American people will think what they will. Uh, what I think the worst outcome, though, for the Republicans in the House at this point, as they have been reasonable, and the president totally unreasonable, read unreasonable, is to cave. I don't think they should give in at all. And if that means that they're going to sit this out for a month or two months or however long the president wants to be arrogant and not talk to anybody, they sit it out. What do you think? I think every day we should present more of the government we're willing to fund. Uh We're willing to fund the entire government, really, short of Obamacare. And even on Obamacare, we're willing, I think I am at least, to compromise and say, if you won't agree to defunding it, can you at least agree to make it less bad? But we're going to keep every day. We're going to add something new and we're going to continue funding. If he wants to be against funding the Veterans Affairs and taking care of our wounded soldiers when they come home, if if Harry Reid wants to veto that or the president wants to veto taking care of our veterans, by all means, let him come forward and explain to the American people why he's shutting government down and not allowing veterans to have their benefits. Now that they've rejected the special exemptions for, for Congress and big business, they won't even negotiate on that. They, they want special exemptions. Don't you think it's time that the Republicans in the House, that that should be the last offer in, in terms of they should stop negotiating with themselves, considering they're getting no feedback? 
<laughs> well, I think the offers from here on out will be that we are willing to fund parts of the government and we're going to keep offering every day new parts of the government. And if so to me, uh, I'll let it play here out in a second. But this to me is sounding like Rand Paul saying the Tea Party position is we're taking a hard line on this. It will be that we are willing to fund parts of the government and we're going to keep offering every day new parts of the government. And if Harry Reid and the president wants to keep the parks closed, I mean, did you read the story today? Somebody, some idiot in government sent goons out there to set up barricades so they couldn't see the monument. People had to spend hours setting up barricades where there are never barricades to prevent people from seeing the World War II monument because they're trying to play a charade. They're going to play a game. <laughs> with us to say, oh, you can't see the monuments? That's ridiculous. They're doing it because they just aren't serious about this. They like the shutdown. I agree with Rand here. The Obama administration has admitted they've been preparing for this for two years. You're telling me that just overnight, all of a sudden, they had signs printed out with Congress on there saying the shutdown has occurred? The whitehouse.gov website has a banner on it. You go to like the submit, you know, the citizens petition. That's been shut down. They're making a huge production out of this. This is exactly what happened back in 96. Clinton did the same exact thing. They made a huge production out of all the things that have been shut down about how evil the Republicans were. And you know what? It devastated. Boner got kicked out. It was awful for them. It was awful. And for some reason, they think playing by the same playbook this time is going to work out better for them. Give me a break. Give me a break. And the way they were going to fund the, the Affordable Care Act was by taxing these medical devices. That was specifically what they want to roll back. And of course, Obama isn't going to move on this. And you can hear from that clip that Rand and the Tea Party isn't going to move on this. So NPR says, well, uh, hey, Obama, you know, there's these compromises here. You know, maybe we're you know, rolling back this. Let's say, hey, Obama, if they say let's roll back these uh, medical device taxes, would you be willing to, you know, go ahead with this? I mean, compromises, Mr. Obama. Some of their proposals have narrowed down from canceling out funding for Obamacare and focused on items like the medical devices tax, which they want to repeal. Isn't that something that you could discuss? There's a lot of Democrats who've been concerned about that tax. Keep in mind that from the start, what I have said is I am happy to talk to Republicans about any issue. What we're not going to do is to negotiate whether or not Congress pays its bills and whether or not Congress passes a budget that keeps government open. If they offered you more, Mr. President, would you be willing then to negotiate things like a delay in Obamacare and the individual mandate? Steve, let, let's be clear. We're not going to delay the Affordable Care Act. Oh, hold on. The chat room is correcting me. Mumble room, you failed me here. Mumble room, you're supposed to yell at me if I get these things wrong. Uh, so Republicans didn't lose seats. I was actually just, I, I guess I maybe got, I went over the top. I was referring to Boner. Boner suffered from this, and he's done interviews about it, but uh, from his, his going along with the government shutdown last time. Now, here's Obama. Here's, here's We just played a clip. Obama sounds pretty resolute. He's not going to make compromises. But I think all of what we need to keep in perspective is it's, it's not so much about the current shutdown because it's parks, people. It's, it's, it, it is services that are important, but it's not going to fundamentally change the nature of our economy. And in fact, it seems like the markets have responded pretty well. I mean, it's made us a laughingstock. In fact, there's some great clips you can find online of the BBC taking a good poke at the Amer silly Americans um, and doing man-on-the-street interviews. But what we really have to keep in mind is we covered this last week, but that October 17th deadline, that October 17th deadline, that's a little more serious, and it triggers a series of bad in the bond market.
A U.S. default won't just impact the American economy, it will have ripple effects across the globe. Let's bring in Diane Swank, chief economist at Mesro Financial. Thanks so much for talking with us. So all of this leads us to a much bigger potential problem. This vote, we don't know which way it'll go, but this vote in two weeks' time on the debt ceiling. What do you expect lawmakers are going to do, and why is it such a, a, a more important deal than even the problems the U.S. government's having now? Well, the real issue is if we actually threaten to default on our debt or actually do even go into a small couple of hours default, we call it a technical default, that could um, undermine people's confidence in what they see, the risk-free asset, which is the U.S. Treasury bond in the world. And if you can't price the one thing you think is risk-free, guaranteed out there, how do you price anything else the world over? And so we've seen a lot of um, global interest in what's going on in the United States because everything else is based upon basically the Treasury bond at the, you know, as the least riskiest asset that you can have out there. So this has collateral damage across the world. It's also the Treasury bond is considered the risk free asset for what banks carry as capital. And we saw in 2011 when Standard & Poor's downgraded the U.S. Treasury bond, the Fed immediately issued a stance saying because it still had AAA status, we were still considered a very good bond status by the rest of the rating agencies, that it was still considered what we call tier one capital. That meant that all of a sudden banks didn't lose all the money they had in the balance sheet as capital, because this could be destabilizing to the financial market and precipitate the kind of financial market crisis if it were to occur, and we went into a default, much like 2008, if not worse. We're playing with the reserve currency here, in a sense. I mean, I, we talked about this more last episode in sort of preparation for this. Uh, I, the reserve currency is what allows us to do so much of what we get away with, so important that, that we have the petro-backed dollar, and that is... Once we hit that October 17th deadline, we could potentially be playing with that. However, even that is not actually as bad as everyone would make you think, because there is executive action that could be taken. You said you will not negotiate over an extension of the debt ceiling. I just want to make sure that I'm clear on that. If there is no agreement, if the debt ceiling is debt limit is reached, uh, if the United States is going into default or at risk of going into default, you absolutely will not negotiate, even in that circumstance? Absolutely, I will not negotiate. And the reason, Steve, is because if we establish a pattern whereby one faction of one party controlling one chamber in Congress can threaten default that the United States of America is no longer uh, meeting its obligations and fulfilling uh, the full faith and credit of the United States, uh, unless they get 100 percent of what they want, then we've established a pattern that fundamentally changes the nature of our government. At that point, any president, not just me, any president is subject to that kind of blackmail. So this is, I, I believe, Obama's true position. Um, he is essentially saying that if he caves on this, he sets a precedent. The president sets a precedent. And that precedent is that all you got to do is take us to the brink and then we'll give. And also, I think you have to look back at what an S-storm Obama's administration and presidency has been. It's really been a huge disappointment. This man is going to leave office with Gitmo still open. Drones will be expanded and become cotomized inside the industrial military complex. Right, The CIA has been given unbelievable power. NSA surveillance has expanded beyond whatever, whatever original intentions the founders had for our democracy. That is Obama's legacy. He has been Bush 2.0. And the Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, is really 
one of the few things, along with a lot of uh, incredible improvements in, in, in gay rights and, 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 and other things. But that is really one of his cornerstones. This is maybe the cornerstone out of all of them, the Affordable Care Act. I, I cannot envision a, a scenario where he caves much on this, other than maybe electively allowing delays for uh, average people. Maybe I could see a concession there. But as far as implementing Obamacare, I, I just don't see it. And the fact is, he has this insurance policy. He has this executive action. And what the clip implies, although I didn't get a chance to play it all through, is he could take executive action to increase the debt limit, increase the debt ceiling, so that way we can go more into debt. And it would cause a series of legal events to take place, which would mar the remainder of his presidency, but he would actually pull a Hillary Clinton and punt them onto the next guy, right? Just like Hillary Clinton did with Benghazi, she, she punted. Obama could punt this executive action onto the next guy. And I got I to gotta imagine... That is a way better scenario for Barry than giving up on the Affordable Care Act. There is just, I, I, I can't picture it. I can't fathom it unless there is an NSA agent with a gun to his head. I cannot picture him giving on this much other than allowing electively for individuals to decline from the Affordable Care Act until next year. But see, the goal here is, since we allow big business to punt for a year, the goal is to say, well, if you allow for big business, we got to allow for everybody. Well, if you allow for everybody, then a whole series of things kick into a place that were supposed to happen. But since, the, since people have punted, these things still happen. Costs go up, and then it, it essentially torpedoes Obamacare. That's the essential theory. That's, that's the sort of the theory behind what they're trying to accomplish. And I, I just don't see, I don't see him letting, allowing that to happen. To me, it seems like he's got too much at stake here. Um, Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Mumble Room, anybody have an, another take on this or anybody uh, kind of see what I'm saying here? From Anybody see my perspective? I see what you're saying. Uh, I think that over time, like over Obama's administration, yes, he has been kind of giving on like things that involve national security. Oh, oh, He's, oh, no, no, no. Obama will be referred to as the great compromiser. That will be one of the terms that describes the Obama legacy as the great compromiser. Let's go back. I mean, and, and, and I'm not picking sides, but let's go back to the bullshit around the Bush tax cuts that we covered towards the beginning of the Unfilter program. He essentially extended the Bush tax cuts indefinitely by giving a huge compromise on that. Right. I mean, he is the he is the compromiser. Uh, uh, he's more of like the guy that that it's kind of just like a second copy. He's not really done anything that is himself except for a couple little things he stayed the course he's been a, yeah. he's been a huge disappointment he has been actually yeah that's not what he wants to be remembered for so the obamacare act is basically his last hurrah and even then um even when he had a democratically controlled congress obamacare itself was a huge compromise right yeah well the thing is the obamacare it needs to happen to be honest because in the Western world, you are pretty much the only country that doesn't have some sort of national insurance uh, system in play. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. And it seems pretty barbaric that um, people that can't afford health care don't get it. It makes absolutely no sense from my People actually die from it. Well, if I was going to... People gonna, actually die. I mean, if I was going to fry a little bacon... And I'm not saying this is a good thing. I would I would say that Obamacare is preparation for economic collapse. Mm, bacon. Ooh. And Obama okay, and Obama is putting things in place to prepare us. And I don't know how this plays out, but 
to I, me, it, to me, our the way our economy going is it sort of necessitates Obamacare. I mean, and I say that as somebody now who has gone from, um, you know, fifteen years of regular employment where I had medical coverage and I enjoyed uh, jobs that had sort of great medical coverage as one of the perks, and um, now I have gone to somebody who has no medical coverage, and it's been an interesting change of perspective for me and. Um, and I have made the reason I've gone to this is because I looked at my contracting business. I looked at it and I said, yeah, that's a 10 year job at the best. And I need to start building something now that will last me the next 30, 40 years. And so that, so I, I made that investment, but it meant going without healthcare. And I look at it from that perspective and I, I just, I think that's, I think I am the precursor to a million different iterations of my story. Right. I mean, what bothers me so much is like the fact that the Affordable Care Act, aka Obamacare, is properly taxed. Right. It was fun. It was going to be funded through a medical device tax of, I believe, seven point five percent, which would have been plenty to cover it. Not only that, but then people would still be paying a premiums. It would just be significantly lower. It would yeah. be like a hundred U.S. dollars per month or something, depending on who you what what your provider is. I'm- um. And this was something the House removed. And what, they expected just to pass a bill and not have any funding? Like, not – and that they're complaining that, you know, there's all these different um, bills and legislations that we had to pass that required funding and that the government required funding, you know. And here was something that already had funding in place, and they went ahead and declined. Well, just- the whole point was to destroy it by defunding it in the first place. But I mean, I say Obamacare was a compromise because they had the majority. It did not require a single Republican vote, nor did I think get one. So they could have passed something a lot stronger than Obamacare. They could have gone all Bernie Sanders on it. Yeah, just going back, do you lot actually believe that the health system that you have in place now actually works? Well, I mean, so I go back. So I I agree with Linux King in the chat room. I think this uh, device tax is a misnomer. I think it would have funded only a portion of Obamacare. But I think the reason is is because the Obamacare is some sort of I, – I, I, I mean, come on. Let's be honest. Let's look at the origination of it. I mean, it was a Romney idea. I mean, it is truly putting money in the, in the pockets of insurance companies. It, to me, almost seems like a jobs program for the insurance company. It's like, a, it's like a, an indefinite bailout for the insurance companies, in my opinion, because it essentially what it does is assures 80% level funding. So all they have to do is make the scale a little differently, and they still get 80% funding. It doesn't actually restrict what the funding is. And let's, be, let's go back to the fact that this is not properly taxed. To me, this seems like setting up uh, – it's, it's trying it's, – it's too weak. It is, it's not a Bernie Sanders. Sanders level solutions, it's, it, and it's also not a uh, fully right wing solution. It's sort of like this half baked thing. Um, yeah, and- if you don't mind me popping in briefly, um, I'm just going to explain how it works a little bit in the UK. <laughs> I don't understand the US policy about this and how Obamacare is working properly, but in the UK, we've got something called national insurance. Um, we pay about, it's about 8.5% of our weekly income. And uh, with that, we automatically get healthcare. Uh, it's a very basic healthcare, and we got our own problems. It's not brilliant, but we can go private if we wanted to as well. We can pay extra and go for a private healthcare. So we do have the two options. We have got the free national what are your healthcare. Private? What, then, are, yeah, what are the yeah. prices of your private options look like? Uh, uh, the, private, the private ones normally uh, bundled in with like um, if you certain bank accounts um you can go for like a premium bank account where you get house insurance and healthcare insurance and with that you get private uh healthcare 
And so, it also depends on whether your company also um, supply, signs up for the private ah, healthcare insurance. Uh, okay. No, okay. the UK is a little bit different. Sorry, I'm also in the UK. It's a bank thing normally. Like, yeah. um, if you go to an employer, we just use our national insurance. So that would be our healthcare. Um, not, I mean, no employees here, you know, you get insu- like, um, insurance for because we have to pay it out anyway. But I'm on about, um, I mean, I probably wouldn't be around today if it wasn't for the, the healthcare system we have here. Um, two years ago, I, had, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night with massive pains in the back of my back. Just went down to the emergency, uh, hospital emergency. Uh, they did a quick scan. They found that I had 20 blood clots in my lung. Oh. In my lungs. Yeah, so it was quite serious. But, um, you know, they sorted me out straight away. I was on a, a week, uh, no, six six months, actually. Six months worth of uh, warfarin. That's a blood thinner. And that was it. And I came away and I was fine. But if I was, if I didn't have an insurance, I wouldn't be around today. So... However, here in the United States, uh, emergency rooms aren't allowed to deny you care if you have an uh, urgent need to have that care. Yeah, but but the thing was, it wasn't a broken thing. It wasn't a broken finger or a broken leg or something. This was something that I needed six months worth of treatment. Also, in the UK, we also have a prescription charge as well. So any drugs or medical, yeah. So that also uh, ties in with the medical device tax that the Americans have. So it's. In the NHS, is provided by both the national insurance and the prescription charge. The prescription charge is also dependent upon your income. If you earn below a certain amount or if you're on job seekers allowance or income yeah, support, correct. you can get your prescriptions for free. And you, you can also sign up for a certificate that lasts for a yeah. certain, pan, certain amount of time. And any yeah. prescriptions under that are automatically paid for. Basically, what we have here now with Obamacare is we have the individual mandate, which if you make more than a certain amount of money a year, you are required to get health insurance either through your employer or separately. But this does make me... This does make me wonder why America just doesn't implement the UK system and don't give me the, <laughs> oh, we've got 600 million people living here or however many people you've got over there. If enough people <laughs> we, are contributing to 600 it. 600 million over here. We're America. We've got 60. We have to be special. We've got 60 million people. The UK would make a very, yeah, it would make, the UK would make a very, very nice hospital island for Japan and China because they've got around 60 million disabled people. You, you said 7% <laughs> tax increase. That would get shot down immediately. Whatever. Yeah, Just the, try the, the UK system. Uh, yeah. America is always a low tax system. Um, but then UK is like higher tax. My, uh, my income tax is like 20%. Oh, well, I'd dude, love oh, to pay 7%. Mine is more than America. that. I'll tell you that as a small business person, I feel like mine is about 40%. Gosh. Can yeah, but then you can de- but then you can deduct certain expenditure from right. that though, can't you? Right, right. Like yeah. Yeah, like the room I'm sitting in to do this show. <laughs> yeah, I'll be paying upwards to fifty percent of my income when I move to Finland because I'll be required to pay both US and Finnish tax. Oh. But unlike unlike US taxes, my Finnish taxes I know will be going to something and I will have the healthcare I need, and I will have the educational system completely paid for. It's unlike here in the U.S. where we expect, oh, you know, we have such a low tax rate, and then we wonder, oh, why do we have such a huge deficit? Yeah, I think that's what it is, because every time I like, I sort of watch like politicians come and go, we'll lower your taxes and you'll get more things. It's like, 
how does that even work? How can yeah. you lower taxes and get more services? It's right. like impossible. Well, I think that's sort of sort of at the core of this. There's been this. So what this debate to me, as I've watched this play out, has shown to me is there is uh, – I don't know how to put it into words because I haven't really cared much to follow it so closely. But there seems to be um, a, um, a division developing in the Republican Party where you have your Rand Paul and your Ted Cruz. And basically you have Fox News-empowered Tea Party representatives – that are able to take extreme measures and then Fox News helps develop a narrative around the measures they are taking. And then you have the traditional good old boys club that is uh, pioneered by uh, McCain. And you've also, of course, got Graham. And I would probably include Boner in this club. And I think what they're doing is they're going to sit back and they're going to let the new kids burn themselves out. They're going to let them sort of kill themselves, uh, throw themselves on the sword, as it were, over this cause. And then they'll come through as the cool heads, McCain and Graham and Boner. They'll, they'll emerge and prevail as the cool heads that bring the situation together right as we approach October 17th. That's my bet. And I would bet that Obamacare essentially emerges fairly unscathed, although continues to be challenged throughout 2014. Sorry, been like one year and nothing else has happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I was just saying on the pre-show that in, like in January, the Unfilter show called the fact that this is going to be the year of the showdowns. I think I even put that in one of my intros. Like, we're like we said, well, we'll set you up for the year of the showdowns. Here, here's the schedule. <laughs> it's only been one year, and we're talking about 2016. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it's almost sad, really. It, it's ridiculous, and it's mostly them talking about the Republican candidates. It almost seems as if Hillary is unmatched on the Democratic side. Well, we we've been covering we've been following um, Elizabeth Warren in the in the supporter show, uh, and she might prove an interesting challenge. In fact, there's been some folks that have said that uh, she's uh, she's sort of been shown up on the radar of the uh, Clinton campaign. Um, you know, one thing I wanted to mention, you guys, before we moved on from the total shutdown topic, is that uh, the shutdown one of the, one of the groups, you know, along with like the Statue of Liberty and a bunch of other monuments. Uh, lobbyists uh, have been horribly inconvenienced, uh, although they're not oh. they're not done working. Beltway oh, lobbyists no. are making their normal load of Hill meetings and client work happen in spite of the government shutdown and operating without th- thousands, thousands of staffers. In fact, one of the biggest problems for lobbyists on Capitol Hill this week, well, on day one, the shutdown was simply getting into the congressional office buildings for access they needed with lobbyists and staff. Massive lines formed Tuesday outside the House and Senate office buildings because the shutdown forced Capitol Complex to reduce the number of open entrances. <laughs> Even after the morning rush of staffers arriving for work, it was common to see lines of nearly 100 people waiting out to get into the congressional office buildings. <laughs> uh, My heart bleeds. <laughs> oh no, rich people experiencing first world problems. I'm picturing a line of 100 lobbyists just... Savoring at the mouth to buy off a, a representative, wait, all standing in line. I wonder what the small talk was. So, how much are you going to pay for? What are you? What are you in here to pay for? <laughs> you know, fifty million here, fifty million there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just awful. So, uh, anyways, one thing I wanted to uh, just kind of uh, move from the supporter show into the main show is there's been a GMO labeling battle um, that has been brewing here in Washington State, my home state, and Chase's home state, and we've been covering it in the supporter show because. 
it's something we both care about, but it really hasn't mattered on a grand scale. However, after kind of considering some more and talking with Chase off air about it, we kind of realized that it it sort of is playing out on a macro scale. And so in the show notes, just to kind of arm you guys with some info, we're probably going to talk about it on a future episode when, when uh, Mr. Chase is back. But I have linked, uh, you know how he loves to follow the money. I have linked um, the public disclosure commission's report on who is funding the no unlabeling GMO products and who is funding the fun funding the yes on GMO labeling products. Uh, no surprise. The Grocery Manufacturers Association is uh, number one. They just dumped in another five million. Monsanto comes in at four point five million, and then DuPont is coming in at three point two million, and then the list goes on from there. We have that linked in the show notes, and then the people who are funding the yes, let's label not not arguing to block GMO products. But just arguing that there should, like, we have ingredients and calories, just saying, you know, something on the ingredients list. Uh, number one at only a poultry, 118,000, <laughs> is the Organic Consumers Association. It falls off dramatically after that. Um, Cole Robin, uh, who apparently is just an individual, contributed $3,000. <laughs> Uh, Ruder Frank did 10,000 and you know, so those are the top three on the yes labeling side. So on the no side, you got 5 million, 4.5 million, and then 3.2 million. And then the fourth contender is 1.7 million. The the fifth contender is Bayer, you know, the guys that make the aspirin, uh, 562,000, which is more than the top contributor on the yes side. Uh, so it's interesting to see the, uh, the amazing amount of money that comes into a local discussion that is coming up in November. But here we are. It's been going on in September and now really coming to a head in October. Just an incredible amount of funding here. And of course, I, of course, go ahead. I think you saw the same thing last year when California was voting on uh, GMOs. That's what I was going to say. Yep, it's the exact same thing. You know, you kind of quash it here in Washington and California so that way it doesn't spread nationally, I would assume. That's my, that's my conspiracy. If gets it, then it's going to spread to somewhere else. Right. I'm kind of surprised that they were successfully able to do that in California last year and have the decision go towards no, no labels, because California is quite a liberal state. Well, there's a lot of money, just like we're seeing now. I, mean, I think it's kind of the same thing playing out, and you play it out here, and then it'll eventually sort of set a precedent, maybe. That's one of the things we're going to start following. Um, there was actually, you know, in 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 full, you know, consideration. There was a, a study that came out this week that showed that reviewed uh, several hundred scientific papers, and um, uh, and review and and even looked at their sources and said that uh, there's really been no evidence yet demonstrated that there is any harm in GMO products, uh, and the benefits are clearly demonstrable. Um. I'm just going to just point this out, but like I, I live in Nebraska. It's mainly a farmer community and companies like Monsanto and all these huge GMO companies, they have so much money that they can pretty much say, oh, this is from our seed or, oh, this, this new potato, which we know it's not your seed, but it's ours anyways because you grew it from another mm. seed of ours or some, some yeah, type of process. Yeah, that's totally just, evil. It's just, it makes no sense. And then these farmers, which are forced to deal with, like, millions of dollars of debt or even lawsuits, um, you know, they they don't have anything they can do to retort. Right. 
Yeah, we did an episode um, like forever ago. It was like, jeez, uh, I can't even remember. I think it was maybe even before we hit 10, but called Meet Monsanto, where it was an introduction to some of the horrible things. Yeah, it was episode eight of the Unfiltered program where we talked about Meet Monsanto. And uh, actually, you know what? I kind of want to, I wonder if this is going to work. Let's see here if I. Uh, this is Unfiltered. Yes, play this. Episode eight for July 5th, 2012. In fabulous Disneyland Park at Anaheim, California, where in Tomorrowland, the future becomes the present. Monsanto Chemical Company, Plastics Division, presents the Monsanto House of the Future. Is everything a plastic? Almost. Yeah, so episode eight, we talked about Monsanto, and yeah, definitely one of the issues is is um, the, uh, the patent situation and, and the farming scene. But I, I mean, I didn't mean to. I I feel like that is its own, almost its own dedicated topic in a sense. I'm just talking about. I'm just trying to voice a little devil's advocate, maybe here. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate and say, you know, we are overpopulated. We do have a serious problem. Maybe there is a, an answer there that GMO ans- uh, that GMO can. So- there's a problem that GMO can solve. However, even if that is the case, I would still argue for labeling. It does make sense to label it so that then people can be like, oh, okay, so this is genetically modified. I can have this fear pumped into my face about it can mutate my offspring. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> That's... It's, it's, it's got to be about informed choice. If you don't have yeah. that, then where's the choice? Yeah, I agree exactly. with the whole idea of having informed choice, but I'd say my issue with Monsanto comes down to the patent wars rather than the actual health or science issues behind it. That Same. isn't the argument at this point. It's do yeah. should should the products be labeled? I, and I do in my opinion, yes. Exactly. Exactly. How are you going to uh, go? Let them know which way you want to use it. With the labeling, even if there's nothing wrong with them, they should just label it. You know, if people want to make a choice about it, at least they should have the information. And I want to know if something's grown from some GMO because I don't want to buy their shit. <laughs> And there exactly. you go. That's your choice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, and I also would opt not to, um, just because I kind of follow the paleo diet, paleo diet anyways, and GMO just doesn't really fit in that crazy hippie paradigm that I have. But uh, I, I still prefer the uh, choice to at least have an informed decision. It's it, it's funny because it almost echoes some of the sentiments I had from Linux Unplugged on Tuesday, where I said part of the problem with cloud computing is that I'm unable to make certain informed decisions about my security, my privacy, their security practices and standards they use and things like that. Same with GMO foods. Like when I go to my local uh, butcher in Savannah Meats and, uh, you know, where I've been going now for the last eight years, I know exactly what's in that cow. I know exactly what's in those ribs. Like literally, I even know the field I could go look at to look at the grass those animals are eating. That level of detail. And that... Because I am an OCD maniac, apparently, <laughs> is my preference. But I, I, I totally respect that not everybody has those considerations and concerns. And you've right. got, the same, and you got exactly. the same thing with open source software as well, which is almost the same thing. Exactly. exactly. I completely agree that it should be labeled GM or not. I mean, we do the same thing for if something is sugar-free or not. We do, something, we do that if, you know, it's fat-free or contains a certain amount of of fat, we do it if it has MSGs or not. Why can't we do it for GMO? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Hell, there might even be nothing wrong with GMO. It could be great, but we should still be able to have the information so we can make an informed choice. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. That is our 
our assembly of informed and concerned internet citizens who agree with me. So I must not be crazy. Maybe I am. Of course, you can always let us know. Email us, unfilter at jupiterbroadcasting.com or pop that contact link at the top of the Jupiter Broadcasting website. You can also find our BitMessage address in our show notes. Guys, on the Mumble server, you guys, thanks for joining me. You were great. I love having you. We'll do this again in the future, okay? You're not crazy, okay. Chris. You're just no a problem. good person. As long as I'm awake at this time in the morning. Right, of it's course. Ten, it's 10 to 5. Oh, yeah. We appreciate you uh, sticking it out for us. It was, uh, it was good. It was good to get your perspective, too. Now, don't forget, you can uh, you can influence the show, t- what we talk about, engage in the conversation, help vet what makes it in the show by going to unfilter.reddit.com. Now, I know Mr. Chase had a prediction. I don't even know what it is. I'm just crazy, so we'll save it for next week. That's his thing. But go over there. Let's blow it away. Let's make his return like that much more epic by having more subscribers. So go to unfilter.reddit.com. And don't forget, you can find his work over at geekgamer.tv. You can find me over at twitter.com slash chrislas. And go over to jupiterbroadcasting.calendar. Automatically now switches to your time zone. See how easy we've made this for you? I know you're lazy. I understand. Join us live. Join us live. You can find out the time over at the calendar. And also, don't forget, if you're an Unfiltered supporter, huge show in your inbox coming. If you're not a supporter yet, you can still support us by using our affiliate links, grabbing that browser extension, or by becoming an Unfiltered supporter by clicking that button in our show notes. And that lets us know that you appreciate the work and effort that goes into the show, and you want to keep it on there because it is important. Oh, man. Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us on this week's episode of Unfiltered. Be sure to join us next week. See you right back here. Woo!